Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Somewhere between science and superstition. Such sights to show you. Strange Eons. Welcome to Strange Eons Radio. That's Eric over there. Hello. That's Vanessa over there. Hello. And uh, if I'm sleeping, guys, don't wake me because Anthony James K is here again. <gasps> Dreaming. Bonjour, Monsieur and Mademoiselle. Uh, <laughs> always a pleasure to have you here, Tony. Thank Great you so to much. be back, you guys. Thanks for asking me back to the playpen. Yeah, yep, we love yep. having you. Yay. Uh, how's everybody doing? Good. Yeah, I mean, we're ready to get this show on the road. I realize that I don't really have anything to talk about. <laughs> oh, awesome. That's weird. I'll, I'll put out a quick thank you to Todrick for the wonderful... Pizza party he just purchased for us. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Oh, thank, thank you. you there. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. Um, I don't know. While I was gone, did you guys manage to uh, thank Ron for... Yeah. Oh, good. I thought we did. If we didn't, it you was... rock, Ron. Ron. Thank you, Ron. Yeah. yeah. Ron bought us some pizza. And then Ron yes. uh, hit us up with a bunch of ideas that he wants to get going for yeah. the show. And uh, that is the value for value model right there. So look at, yeah, look at Whoa. all of that stuff. That he's Whoa. Done. I don't think I've uh, seen this. Well, that's on you then because it <laughs> came to the Facebook messaging. The, yeah. <laughs> I am hardly on Facebook, guys. That's Come fair. Come on. Uh, you know, we all have our moments. Sort of like I used to quote unquote run the Crypticon Twitter feed and really not a lot happened. Mm-hmm. And that recently got passed off to, uh, Someone else, and he is kicking ass on it. Oh, that's awesome! <laughs> so Tums of stuff. He's finding interesting things. Like, oh, good, dude, you rock. <laughs> Thank that's you. Incredible. <laughs> that's so good. When when is Crypticon? By the way, end of May. Uh, Last weekend in May. It's coming up. Yeah, I hope yeah. we'll be there. I think uh, that we will. Yes, indeed. <laughs> that's the plan. With bells on. <laughs> I also got another uh, lovely handwritten note from Danny Williford. <laughs> Full page, uh, illustrated envelope, and everything. And Danny, I know you're trying to guilt me into writing you a letter back. It'll never happen. But (laughs) I do, strangely, love getting mail. And so it's like, oh, this is nice. I read it and then I put it away. (laughs) (laughs) Now he thanks you. Yes. (laughs) I also like getting mail. Danny, I've got a little care package being put together for you, though. I think you're going to dig it. Well, since there's four of us here, how about we do a little round robin on things we've seen lately? And I will start this off. I actually had a uh, little conversation with Andrew Byers of the Friday Night Fright Fest podcast. Oh, and he he nice. and I were talking about Guardians of Justice on Netflix. You guys watch this? No, I have not. This is uh, Adi Shankar's uh, series. He really? produced Dread and uh, something else. I like him. He he used to dress up like the Crow. For like business meetings. Oh, yeah, oh these, my God. This crazy <laughs> wow. eyeliner and stuff like that. And I always just kind of admired the fact that he seemed to be insane and he was working <laughs> in Hollywood. And uh, he has stopped doing that now. And now that you can see him normally, he's just a real handsome young dude. <laughs> this show, I still can't tell if I really enjoyed it. Uh, it is a mixture of animation and a mixture of animation styles and live action. 
and it's kind of a um, a grim look at at superheroes. But I mean, it starts with basically the Superman character killing himself with a kryptonite bullet. <laughs> Whoa! Wow. Yeah, it's pretty pretty grim. But um, I I was watching this going. This was probably really cool 15 or 20 years ago. DC has just completely embraced everything is grim in all of their movies anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's uh, one size fits all at this point, which is really not the way to go. Yeah. That's why Marvel is flourishing and they're floundering, basically. I think. Well, I would say Batman. To a great extent. Uh, is well, not Batman aside, but... Every yeah. time they say, you know what? Let's give this other random person a chance to just do with whatever with DC. They end up with things like the Joker. So I feel like if that is their business model, they'll save themselves. Hopefully, 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 hopefully. I guess. Uh, I think that's what they did with the Batman. I feel like. Yeah. I. Oh, we talked about it, but then we never aired it. Uh, you and I talking about oh, the Batman. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I didn't love the Batman. I, I liked it, but. I had issues with part of the problem. I think with DC just doing dark on everything is not every character's dark. True, exactly. Batman is the character to go dark, dark, dark with, but Superman does not fit in that world. Right, and when they go dark on him, he just. I mean, if Superman went dark, the world would be pretty screwed. (laughs) You know, even as dark as they could do, like Batman does sometimes, where he just kind of goes nuts and does a bunch of shit. Right. Yeah, they could always like spin off the the red. Son, and not I know they did a cartoon version but they could do like an actual film version that might be fun because then it's like actual Superman but for the wrong side quote unquote wrong side I okay wrong side <laughs> say wrong side one more time I think you're okay I think I keep you're fine back and especially forth right now yeah I was like uh, uh, what, are, what are today's politics oh shit oh shit um, yes definitely wrong side what are side. this week's politics yes, yes, yes. Yeah, well, so I don't know if I can uh, fully recommend this show, but mm. it ha- it is interesting. So. Cool. Well, um, I finished up Archive 81, finally. It took way too long. I admit that. It took me way, <laughs> way, way too long. And as you guys know, I loved that show. And then... <laughs> It changes drastically the last couple episodes. The last couple of episodes. Mm -hmm. Son of a... (laughs) It just got real, real bad. Real bad. Real bad decisions. I don't... They could have not. They could have just said, you know what? We don't need to make some choices. We could just... It's fine. Whatever. (laughs) It's awful. (laughs) Where it ends is a fucking awful. (laughs) Anyway... Wow. I just, okay, bad. then. Well, it didn't yeah. get picked up, and I guess we're getting a hint as to why it didn't get picked up, if the quality is... Thank God. I don't want to see what they would do for season two, because I don't want to start with what's-his-name in the place they left him in, because <laughs> we don't need to be there. Fuck those guys for doing that. Like they, It is the laziest form of into a new dimension and back out again I've ever seen. Ever. Let's just use the sets we already have and just walk around. And sometimes it's kind of a little bit lighter and a different filter on the camera, but it's definitely not a different fucking dimension. Don't worry about it. There isn't weird shit in here. Oh, the demons. I guess it's just my family. It's fine. Oh, they want to have dinner. I wonder if this is the thing I got warned about. I guess not. I'll just sit down and hang out. I only have five minutes. You know, I haven't seen a single episode of the show, so you're probably giving me epic spoilers, and I have no clue. I, I'm not. I'm trying not to. It's it's just there's. She's, 
she's managing fairly well to tell you how much she hates it and why, if you've seen it. Right. But oh, I don't yeah. think Good. she's telling you much at all. No, no. <laughs> hopefully, yeah. If if you actually watch the show, this this will really go over her head and not not spoil anything. But it is extremely frustrating. There's I, a lot of bad decisions that happen near the end. And yes. I was so sure it was aliens. And it kind of is, but kind of isn't. And you know what, guys? Fucking... Fuck, it had such a good buildup. <laughs> and that guy's job is incredible. And he, whatever, it's fine. Oh, God. But other than that, I have no strong feelings. <laughs> I just liked it so much for so long. And then they, and that girl's really irritating. I'm going to say it. The, the main lead girl, awful voice. Mm. Awful. Wow. Didn't even like her face that much. <laughs> I'm done. Holy Someone else has a time. <laughs> Okay, I thought it was fine. <laughs> anyway, so I'm talking about another one that I'm guessing you're going to hate viciously because it's different than you might expect. That's not fair. <laughs> I'm not always like this. But if any one of us, of the, especially the three of us, is going to go super hatred, you take the cake <laughs> for when you really, really do. <laughs> it's impressive. Well done. It gets personal. Yeah, yeah, apparently. Well, I watched uh, Paramount Plus's new show, Halo. Keep thinking it's Amazon, but Paramount Plus. And it starts off, like, because uh, I've, I've played all of the Halo games. I've played some of them multiple times. I freaking love this game. And it starts off, and the first battle starts with the Master Chief, and they're nailing it, where he's killing the elites, where they kill him, he kills the elites, the good way you do in the game, too. So I'm going, fuck, man. <laughs> or you hit them with a certain amount of machine guns till the uh, force field goes down, then you kill them. Because if you just hold the trigger down, you don't get enough. They'll still be shielded. So I was like, Jesus, these people play this game. But by the end, I'm going, did they actually play the game or did they just fiddle around with it? Because the mechanics are great. It looks good. Paramount has... Although they've already shown with Star Trek, they're willing to dump money in their originals. They dump money in this sucker. Mm -hmm. Jesus, it is uh, movie quality level stuff. You should expect Did to see you really think theater. so? Wow. <laughs> Maybe you need it. a new TV or something. Man. You keep talking about these horrible effects. I, I didn't think they were so horrible, but I didn't think they were movie quality. And I, I thought the acting was pretty shoddy. And I've acting never was... played the game. Um but I hated when they went to the first-person view, and I was like, oh, boy, I hope this is not going to be a regular thing. <laughs> Do you fan service much? Well, I, it's just, I don't know. Because um, I, didn't, I didn't care much for it, and I wanted to. And then I was like, well, it actually doesn't look any worse than Book of Boba Fett or anything like that. Yeah. So maybe that's just the, the look of things now, and, and we're all getting used to it and being okay with it. <laughs> I didn't think the camera angles, the, the shots, I don't think, would have translated to a big screen very well at all. I thought it looked very much like TV science fiction. Yeah, interesting. Could be. I don't know. I don't. <laughs> well, so tell me this. Do we ever get to see them out of their uniforms? I don't know yeah. what the Master Chief looks like in the game. Okay. Um, I mean, I've played, what, there's six of them out now, I think, and I don't think he's ever taken his helmet off. The story's weird. I'm not sure where they're going with the story. It was very odd to start it off with the, the way the video games are is Master Chief is the hero. He's the guy who's saving everybody from the elites and stuff. So it's a little bit, okay, whatever. He's going to show up in the like him, and he sort of did, but of course he showed up about five minutes late for everything that mattered. 
Right. <laughs> I'm curious to see where it goes. I'm still going to watch it. Yeah, but I, the, I the, will too. The idea of him rebelling against his programming, there's been a little bit of that, but that's also been moved forward by Cortana, which is his yeah. computer AI. Mm. And he, in the game, he really is just a muscle man. He is just a let's kill some shit and gets curious about things occasionally. But Cartana is the one who's doing all the thinking for him and doing all the figuring way things that need to be done. And he just, he goes along with what she says in the end, even though, you know, sometimes he'll, the story's pretty straightforward usually. Hmm. There was the scene where he, um, he grabs the artifact at the beginning and everything starts to light up. Mm -hmm. And then there's the uh, scientist who's watching that afterwards. And she says something like, you know, we found this alien artifact and it's like nothing we've ever seen before. And I was like, well, that looks a lot like um, the fifth element <laughs> effects. And it doesn't look nearly as cool as the energy shields surrounding the aliens you guys oh, are fighting. Yeah. Why is this such an incredible looking thing? I really wanted the effects to be something that, you know, would make you go, I've never seen anything yeah. like this. Yeah. But in the 25th century, surely you had seen things much, much cooler than that. So, <laughs> Could be, I don't know. I, don't know. <laughs> I, I have not seen it, but I wonder if one of the big problems is, and often with making a video game film, mm -hmm. is that like for Master Chief, you play as Master Chief right. in the games. So to give them that, like a character where normally it's left void for player agency, right. that is a huge like black hole of you don't really want to give them a personality because yeah. then it ruins people's experiences and ideas of who they are when they play that character. Right. But I don't know. It's, it's a Well, that could have been easily avoided by Cortana. Yeah. Having, having Master Chief be what he is in the game, which is a weapon. Yeah. And Cortana coming in and going, you know what? <laughs> you might be, this is a bad situation. You may not want to do what you're doing. You may not want to kill this kid. You know, there's, mm -hmm. there's plenty of room to have done that. Sure. And, you know, same kind of problem with Boba Fett. It's like, well, here's this character on this helmet that's really cool. Well, here he's out of the helmet. He's kind of a doughy-looking weird <laughs> dude. But, uh, so, it, yeah, it's a it's a tough thing. I'm, yeah. I'll, yeah, like I said, I'll keep watching, see where it goes. But, uh, right. huh. I'm curious. I'm, yeah. I'm genuinely curious. Um, but uh, kind of riffing a little bit off of Kelly's interesting animation that he's mm. not sure he actually liked or not. <laughs> um, I actually caught up with a movie you guys have talked about on the podcast before, which is The Spine of Night, um, uh -huh. which is uh, yeah. an animated fantasy film that's sort of uh, part Ralph Bakshi, part steampunk. Uh, uh, it was one of those, and it's also, as you guys talked about before, it's rotoscoped. So that means it's that uh, distinctive style of animation in which like real live action figures are drawn over and animated and so it has a very unique and a very odd look to it and i think kelly you might have been the one who brought this up uh on the show is that there is an there is a definite uncanny valley and that i think was the biggest thing that sort of stuck with me um it's got a it's got a, a lot of interesting kind of ideas. Uh, it's a lot of it is basically fantasy tropes being knocked off one after another. But it's got it, it does have some interesting ideas. Uh, there are some 
really promising things visually. But I think it, the whole thing for me was super undercut by the fact that it is very hard to read facial expressions and nuances and facial expression on rotoscope characters. Mm. And also you don't do favors for the actors by having the drawings being photorealistic and yet not quite there. The significant thing I kept on thinking of is there are characters in the film that are supposed to be like, they, they, they look, they, their, their teeth look horrible. They have weird, strange, <laughs> yes. mutated teeth. Mm. And, you know, and, and, you know, especially like with the, one of the main priestess characters, I think the one that's voiced by Lucy Lawless, she's uh, supposed to be, she's supposed to be kind of alluring and she just looks like a scary meth user and it's like yeah. not Oof. quite doing it. But I, in the end it actually, and it's also really downbeat too. Yeah. It's downbeat, and I think that the um, the uh, animation style actually lends it a, a dreariness, kind of a numb flatness that you wouldn't normally get. I mean, one of the things that I think really w the saving grace of a lot of Ralph Bakshi's movies is that you had patches where it was actual animation and not just rotoscoping. And also, um, I think he was just he just has a more distinctive sensibility um, behind the lens. When you watch a Bakshi movie, whether it's a fantasy, whether it's a comedy, whether it's like a, a gritty urban you know, satire, uh, you can tell who made it. There's a sensibility there. And with this, I kind of didn't get a sense of that. Um, I mean, that said, there were some cool visual ideas. I mean, I, I spaceships, uh, you know, winged, uh, winged warriors taking on a, a, a giant, you know, steampunk type <laughs> ship that, that whole tableau was really cool, but the rest of it, eh, it was a movie. And that's good to know. I literally saw the trailer for this yesterday and was thinking <laughs> the, the trailer made it seem so epic and fantastic. And this is this incredible, I don't know if it was a South by or whatever, like mm -hmm. picture that you have to check out. It's mind blowing. And there's this plant people keep eating or something. I, I Yeah, I think what I think one of the things is it might if you're watching it on your TV, I'm I, I'm sure it's a different experience than if you're watching it in a theater. Hmm. I'm sure that 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 probably would have bolstered folks' perception of it. Right. Uh, it's just it doesn't. I don't I don't think that the look of rotoscoping translates super well to a smaller screen. Yeah, uh, I, it's I, much easier to scrutinize, and you can't help but do it. Definitely, I, that was one thing I was thinking while watching the trailer. I was like, these people look. Bad. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's, the it's movement really, seemed very almost clean. okay, but like, yeah, there, it was like there was a flatness of coloring to them. Yeah, even though the lines were like, yeah, mimicking that style that gives you that horrible uncanny valley of like, well, you didn't detail it in, yeah. and you didn't and, undetail it, and just the simplest, just the simple element of the facial expressions, because mm -hmm. there are there's there's points where you know there's a, there's a big betrayal kind of you know, 20 minutes or so into the movie uh, where one character betrays another, the character that does the betraying, there's no nuance to his facial expressions. Oh, no. So you have no idea that he's going to, you know, bust around and be a traitor, not because the script's not telegraphing it or is doing a good job of camouflaging it, but because his facial expressions are so blah uh -huh. that you have no idea, you know, what, what's going on in his head. You have no idea. Uh -huh. There's, there's no way to establish a tether of emotion to anything he's doing. Cause he's a flat ass, you know, cartoon drawing over a real person like everybody else in the movie. So, mm. uh, Ralph Bakshi did it better. 
Yeah, I think that the most interesting thing about this movie is the backstory. And oh, absolutely. Pretty yeah. much created by two guys and all of that stuff. Yeah. And that makes it, you know, pretty impressive. Because for me, always, uh, the whole point of animation is, all right, our budget doesn't necessarily have to reflect now what we can tell in this story. We exactly. can go epic, and, and this didn't really go epic. I agree. I agree. It feels very surprisingly claustrophobic for a quote fantasy epic unquote. Yeah. I would think too maybe some of the newer reactions you know if they're coming from certain age ranges maybe rotoscope hasn't been done very much yeah. for a very long time and even at its height it was barely done Yeah. so it's I could see if you'd never seen Lord of the Rings or uh, what was it on Fire and Ice I think it was also yeah. Rotoscope. Yeah, I think Fire yeah. Nice did it, and of course, American Pop. Yeah, and if you I haven't mean, yeah. seen those, which aren't exactly top of the list on a lot of things, yeah. as talented as they are, this would seem unbelievably unique. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, I agree. Okay, well, uh, how about we take a little break, guys, and then when we come back, we are talking about, uh, this is a weird one, slashers that could not be from the 80s. There you go. All right. ABC News Magazine 2020 with Hugh Downs and Barbara Walters. Are your kids renting a movie this weekend? Horror films like these are the most popular choice. Graphic orgies of blood and violence. And they watch 15 murders in an hour and a half. Children mesmerized. I like the uh, gore. <laughs> but are they harmless? It's always a female victim, and it's generally in a sexual context. With reports that life may now be imitating art, Bob Brown shows you what the kids are watching. VCR Horrors. Also... And we're back. Eric, please explain to the people what this <laughs> subgenre pick is. Explain this goddamn subject again. Okay. The idea is 80s were obviously the decade for slasher films, without, without a doubt. So I wanted to do a slasher movie, but I'm like, you know what? I don't want it to come from the 80s. So nothing from the 80s and toss in Halloween there. I realize that started in the 70s, but close enough. Most of the Halloween movies came out in the 80s. <laughs> Uh, or it cannot be a franchise that has continued on. Like you can't talk about the new Netflix, I guess Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but that didn't come up. But or Jason or any of the reboots and all that shit. So original slasher film, not made in the eighties. Got it. Good. I hope uh -huh. so because you know it's a little late if you don't. Have it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I will dive in first. Then my pick is from nineteen seventy one. Day of Blood.
anyway, so I'll get into the influences and stuff this movie has had under notes and trivia because it's had a lot. Uh, let's dive into the movie itself. Uh, had a hard time finding this on Rotten Tomatoes because it's listed under Twitch of the Death Nerve. I thought it was a strange choice considered Bay of Blood has sort of become its go-to title now. In the early 70s, mm-hmm. you came up with weird shit titles like that oh, yeah. in American you know, drive-ins and grindhouses. So that that's where Twitch at the Death Nerve came from. Yes, I've got Big my time. list of, I think, 12 different titles. Oh, God, I know. Under. Uh, the ratings were 86 from the critics and 63 from the audience, so fairly good. No idea of the budget, no idea of the box office. Again, it's like the multiple titles and all that stuff. You just can't always get reliable info. Yeah. This was directed by one of the Italian masters, Mario Bava, known for many things, including Lisa and the Devil, Barren Blood, The Day She Exploded, <laughs> 39 more, and 79 director photography credits. So he's also lens master. Uh, he shot a lot of his own stuff, too. And 36 special effects correct, uh, credits. And he also was involved in Danger Diabolique. Yes. <laughs> Uh, writer, Mario Bava, and with Tony sitting here, it's a little annoying to read an Italian title. Let's see how this name goes. No. Uh, Giuseppe Zaccarello, the screenplay, he also did Tough to Kill and The Laughing Woman. Uh, Filippo Antoni, who did uh, Look at the Sky and Stray Dogs, which is a very uncomfortable film. Stars Claudine Agour, who's in Thunderbolt, Black Belly of the Tarantula, Tarantula. Let's listen. Let's make love and the bastard. <laughs> that could be a sequel to Listen, Let's Make Love. Uh, <laughs> Luigi Pastilli, the good, the bad, and the ugly. For a few dollars more, your vice is a locked room and only I have the key. Uh, we still kill the old way. <laughs> Plus many other things. Uh, Claudio Comesio, who's done Vengeance, All Screwed Up, and John the Bastard. Kind of a little different take on John there. <laughs> uh, Nicolette Emily plays an uncredited kid in the movie. Uh, she was in Deep Red, Flesh for Frankenstein, and you probably know her best as the usher in Demons. She's like Italian genre cinema's favorite creepy red-haired kid. Yeah, she's, she you didn't do much after she got older, but when she was a kid, she was in a lot of stuff. Yeah. Uh, the movie starts with a lady in a wheelchair rolling around a giant house. Like, oh, okay. Um, but, of course, she does not last long. Guess what? It's a murder set up to look like a suicide. And this movie is convoluted as hell. <laughs> Even by Italian stories. Man, this is like, okay. Anyways, though, this moves then to a uh, group of a woman and a man in bed. And looks like uh, this scene looks like it's straight out of a spy movie from the late 60s. And uh, J&B, first spotting of J&B. Yes. Yeah. The alcohol of Italian 70s cinema and beyond. Uh, now it looks like the movie's just a bunch of teens in a car goofing around. Hey, that sounds familiar. <laughs> Except they're, they're in a groovy dune buggy. <laughs> <laughs> Going down the street, then hitting the beach, driving around in there. I think it's bright yellow, of course. They start off with a very cool scene of music and let's dance as kids with, uh, I'm fairly sure, unpaid for because it doesn't last long. Segment of Inagata de Vida. Oh. Uh. <laughs> so I look at it for a while, go, oh, this is cool. And then slowly it warps and changes. Uh, oh, okay. 
<laughs> Didn't get all the rights for that, did you? Now, there's another lady introduced. She's reading tarot cards. Um, my note here is, I wonder if these will ever tie together. <laughs> um, and now here's uh, the house. Her house is on the bay. The Bay of Blood. The, the over the, the, her, her acting is hilarious. She is over the top ridiculous in this role of horrible things are going to happen to you because of these cards. There is a little bit more of an effort in this, I think, than some slasher Italian films to create a three-act movie. It's up to you to decide if that was a good idea or not <laughs> as you're watching the movie. <laughs> Got the, the nice Italian piggish guy going around hitting on women. All the teens from the Dune Bugs are dicks. Not a one of them is a likable character. And here's where we begin the obvious influence of this film. One of the women decides I'm going to get naked and go swimming in the lake. <laughs> yeah, you've heard that before. <laughs> exactly. Um, and of course, what a bad idea that was. <laughs> the violence in this is disturbing. It's very well done. Um, it's, well, it's Bava, so if he does nothing else well in his movies, his kills are like, yay. Oh, yeah. There's some notification, or I'm going to drop a little bit into the influence of this film. Uh, a lot of people consider this the godfather of uh, slasher films, and ha if not, had a huge and profound impact on what slasher films would come. It's also credited as being one of the most influential Italian movies ever made, partially because of that reasons. Uh, writing in 2000, Tim Lucas wrote that the Baba film is acknowledging, uh, acknowledged smoking gun behind the body count movies that came out in the 80s. And yeah, it largely is, to a point. Because these four teens are all done with the movie about 40 minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> so their storyline has very little to what's going on. Uh, and then it goes back to kind of a Giallo style mystery movie with all the, and it's just adults now. There's no teens dying anymore. Um, and including the wonderful parenting by two of the people who take their kids in a camper and leave them in the middle of nowhere and then just go <laughs> and disappear. You don't see the kids again till the end of the movie. So I was like, oh, all right. And these are not, these are not all kids. These are, you know maybe 10 <laughs> at yeah. oldest and under. Um, but uh, they talk for a little bit about missing their father and then they head off to the bay. <laughs> so next 20 minutes are the new lady leading lady finding dead bodies until she sees the man coming at her with an ax. It gets very convoluted and weird at this point. <laughs> yeah, it just started to anyways. And the ending, which I'm not going to say, but I'm like, what the fuck is what I'm going to say about the ending? It was such, honestly, a cornball cheat. <laughs> it's like, okay. And the music is weird. This happy little, all right, we're all going to have a fun summer camp. So the movie itself is fine. Uh, it's not Bava's best by any means. It's not his worst either. It's good. It's good, Baba, but it is influential to a fault. Um, the problem is that influence on the slasher movies is really only about half an hour of this movie. You know, there's a good solid 40 minutes, half an hour, 40 minutes with the teens showing up, partying, being sexually active, getting killed, and then they're gone. 
and the rest of the movie is nothing like slasher films. So it's, a, it's an interesting take on that. But I do have many, many taglines. <laughs> the second movie rated V for violence. Neat. Uh, they came to play, they stayed to die. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. <laughs> 13 characters, 13 murders. <laughs> the first film that sh dares to show off hardcore violence. Uh -huh. <laughs> Nothing has quite prepared you for Mario Bavard's Barvage, Bava's <laughs> Carnage. Which is oh. another title of the movie. Mario Bava's Carnage is the real thing. <laughs> the, ult the ultimate tolerance test for violence. Oh my wow. God. <laughs> you will pray for the nightmare to end. Maybe the last shock film you will ever want to see. Do you have a legal right to see murder on film? <laughs> that was the tagline. <laughs> Under the title, Snuff is My Game. <laughs> snuff, snuff. Wow. Brace yourself for a film you will never forget. Also under Snuff is My Game. Terror flows deep. I told you I had a lot of these things. I'm not done. Damn. Uh, well, you've got all those different titles. Yes. Jeez. Diabolically fiendish. Savage. You may not walk away from this one. Uh, okay. Here's the last one. <laughs> the first didn't. motion picture to require a face-to-face -face warning may be the last shock film you ever want to see. Every ticket holder must pass through the final warning station. We must warn you face-to-face. -face. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I love and that. they did that in some theaters. They had oh, somebody man. in there doing that. Um, alternative titles. Before, this one's weird, before the fact. Okay. <laughs> Ecology of crime. Chain reaction. Last House on the Left, Part 2. <laughs> Last House, Part 2. New House on the Left. <laughs> and Twitch of the Death Nerve. <laughs> Second to the Last House on the Left. <laughs> I do like New House on the Left. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so, this actually came out of uh, producer Dino De Laurentiis heard that uh, one of the scriptwriters was a big fan of Cat of Nine Tales, but had fallen out with Dario Gento. And uh, so they kind of picked that up. Um, and Bava said, yes, I owe a massive amount of back taxes. I'm in. <laughs> 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 so he got into making a lot of movies quickly for that reason. Um, the, he turned to a friend of his who was involved with four or few, uh, five dollars for an August moon, take over as producer. There's uh, homages to the movie in the first two Friday the 13th with a couple of the kills. Dude, there, there's the, one kill in that movie that the, is Friday the 13th part two. The machete? Like, uh, what, not the just that. Machete to the, the face? The spear. Oh, the, oh, the, the spear in That red. is shot for shot. Yeah. That, uh, yeah, that actually is a true recreation of that scene. Dario Gento loved this movie so much, he had a friend who was a projectionist steal a print of the film during its first run in Italy. <laughs> and the theater ended up having to show Hatchet for the Honeymoon as a replacement. <laughs> like, oh, which is another okay. Baba movie. Yeah. Which is a lot of fun. Yeah. So uh, he still has that print to this day. So I was like, well, at least you kept it. The film was incredibly low budget. Part of the reason he DP'd on it. And um, he used uh, a wagon. Children's wagon was his... Uh, Dolly, tracking shots. And they were unable to shoot in a forest. Bob was like, no problem, I got you covered. 
So he broke, went into a forest, broke off a bunch of little branches and brought them and framed the camera lens. <laughs> oh my God. And it, it looks good. Yeah. It know? looks like they're, if I hadn't known that and was watching for it while watching the movie, because if you know it and you watch, you go, <laughs> okay, I see it. But I don't think I would have, yeah. that wouldn't have popped into my head. Oh, that looks like those are branches he's holding. Let's see. So uh, Christopher Lee, recent subject of our show, attended a screaming a screening of the film, but Lee hated it. <laughs> he was reported revolted by the film. I'm not surprised. <laughs> Let's see. Seen today. Um, it's it, the violence is still disturbing. Really well done uh, because it's real. It doesn't match up to some of the slashers that followed as far as pure body count by any means. But it is those 30, 40 minutes are the blueprint for Friday the 13th, without a doubt. And a whole lot of other films, obviously, that borrowed from Friday the 13th. So, Bay of Blood, out from Kino, I believe Kino Blu-ray is what I watched on. And uh, looking pretty damn good. Yeah. Nice. Well, um, I have to admit, I had a big struggle with your topic <laughs> because I was very confused for a very long time. But by the time I figured out what you were actually asking us to do, I realized I could do one of my favorite movies oh, of great. all time. So um, I present to you the 2017 movie, Happy Death Day. Oh, hey, you're up. Am I in a dorm room? Yeah, I folded your pants for you. Great. Who did you do that? Don't you sneaky little biatch. Maybe you should switch to water next time. Super helpful. Don't be late. Do party tonight. Okay, bye. Bye. Tree, happy birthday. You scared me. Hey, you're up. Look, I know this isn't going to make any sense. Stop global warming. I feel like I'm losing my mind. You sneaky little biash. Happy birthday. I've already lived through this day. Somebody's going to kill me today. So you can hear now. <laughs> but is everything okay? Shut up! Shut up! Assuming that I believe any of this is even possible. Sprinklers. Car alarm. The way I see it, you have unlimited amount of lives. Unlimited opportunities to solve your own murder. Supposed to keep dying until I figure out who my killer is. You want to live to see tomorrow, right? Whoever's killing you knows it's your birthday. Pretty much the entire school knows. These are signs of major trauma. You should be dead. You relive the same day over and over again. Kind of start to see who you really are. Oh, 
Nice. Not to be confused with Happy Death Day to You, which is its sequel, which is why I was confused. Uh, it's all fine. So this movie, <laughs> <laughs> definitely serial killer, definitely not 80, um, 80s. Rotten Tomato score of 71% from critics and 67% from audience because they're stupid. Um, <laughs> the, the budget for this movie was 4.8 million. The box office was 125.5 million. Wow. Oh, Damn. This is a Blumhouse joint. This is one of those uh, uh, low budget that brought in a lot of budget to make this. One of the Blumhouse thing. Let's put out 50 movies. Two of them will make us a shit ton of money and yep. make up for all the others. And oh. this was one of them. So this is directed by Christopher Landon. Um, he has nine directing credits to his name, including Paranormal Activity, The Marked Ones, Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse, um, Happy Death Day, as well as Happy Death Day to You, Freaky, and the upcoming film, We Have a Ghost. He also wrote 18 films, which is a little bit more of um, where he comes from, including Disturbia and Paranormal Activities 2 through 6. Uh, the writer of this is Scott Lobdell of 11 different films, including um, seven episodes of X-Men, the animated series, uh, Man of the House, Johnny Nitro, and some TV stuff. Mostly he's actually a comic writer for various X-Men comics mm -hmm. and wow. kind of segued into some film writing. It stars Jessica Roth as Teresa Tree Geldman. She's been in 40 things for a long time, mostly just walk on TV roles. So it really took a long time for her to um, land a lead. And this is definitely where her career started to take off. She she did do a small um, role in La La Land, but uh, not, not a lot of big stuff. Um, <laughs> however, uh, she has recently been in the remake of Valley Girl. I don't know if it's good or not. And we all probably saw her in Utopia, the TV series. Um, also in this is Israel Broussard as Carter. Um, he's kind of the the nerdy boy who hangs around. He's been in 21 things, including Perfect High, Bling Ring, and to all the boys I've loved before. Um, Ruby Modine as Lori, um, one of the, uh, the, the roommate. She's been in 27 things, including Satanic Panic, and was a regular in the show Shameless. And Rachel Matthews as Daniel, who's been in 10 things. Um, this was her very first role, and she's gone on to be in Looking for Alaska, Frozen 2, and the new Batwoman as Magpie. Cool. So the story, I, by all rights, should not like this movie because <laughs> I was convinced I hated, hated anything resembling Groundhog's Day. Mm. Turns out I was wrong. So Tree <laughs> wakes up in a stranger's dorm room. That's Carter. Um, she has a killer hangover from drinking the night before. She has smeared makeup. She's wearing his shirt. Isn't really sure what happened. Doesn't really care. Her ringtone wakes her up. It's an annoying jingle about birthdays. So you can guess pretty quickly <laughs> that maybe it is, in fact, her birthday. It's her dad calling. She swipes left. She has no interest in checking. Doing uh, Is it left or right? Um, left. Sure. Huh? Right. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's left or right. I don't. I've never <laughs> used that app. <laughs> anyway, she ignores it. I'm not that young. Um, <laughs> she ignores it. Um, and then uh, Carter, who is... Uh, in her class offers her some aspirin. He's obviously a good dude. 
um, trying to help her out. She treats him like total garbage, basically eye rolls him and walks out. Um, she makes her way across the, the college campus on her way back to her sorority. And pretty much everyone she meets as she walks along, she gives either a, a withering look to or straight up is an asshole to. She gets back to the sorority and um, her sorority, I don't know what the leader of a sorority house is, if that's a sister or a mom or what, whatever you call it. But um, Danielle reminds her of a party that night and she better be ready also uh, for their sorority meeting later that day. Uh, she goes up to her room where she runs into her extremely hardworking roommate, Lori, who should not be at a sorority at all because she's not wearing makeup and is in scrubs <laughs> and is clearly studying hard for medicine. I have no idea why she's in a sorority, but that's okay. Um, she offers Tree a cupcake because she's discovered it's her birthday. A Tree wanted to hide it from everybody, but she takes the cupcake, blows out the candle, and then dumps the dessert directly in the trash because it's unneeded carbs. Um, she is a total bitch. Now, uh, if that's, if that hasn't been made clear so far, we know because she goes to meet up with her married professor who is a doctor in the learning hospital. I don't really know how this works, um, to go make out with him on his desk before his wife, uh, knocks on the door and interrupts their meeting. Um, she then excuses herself, goes off to the party, and on her way to the party, she passes a group of drunk students, one of whom is wearing this strange mask. It's of the school mascot, which is a giant fat-looking baby with a single tooth. It's so bad. It's so bad. <laughs> but also pretty creepy. I think uh -huh. they did a good job. Um, uh, the, the person in the group sort of stops, lingers, and stares at her. Um, and she gives them a, a look back and keeps walking down into one of those weird, creepy nighttime walkway tunnels. And in the middle of the tunnel, there's a music box playing Happy Birthday. How very strange. I wonder why it's there. She walks up to it and she calls out to her friends going, ha ha, guys, this is really funny. <laughs> Ass hats. And um, uh, no one responds. However, the masked baby face uh, mask where guy does <laughs> is coming after her with a weapon, uh, trying to kill her. And she does actually fight him off pretty nicely, but then um, her, her throat is slit. It's okay, because she wakes up uh, to her birthday ringtone in Carter's room in his t-shirt with smeared makeup and a hangover mm. again. Yes, yeah, she has restarted the day. However, the first day, she doesn't really know what's up. She just has this constant sense of deja vu. She doesn't really put it together. Um, and then uh, this time, the only difference between that and the previous day is when she gets to the walkway, she's like, I feel like I shouldn't go down here. I'm going to take a different way. And she does and makes it to the party, uh, which is great because then she gets to make out with um, one of her roommate's crushes. <laughs> <laughs> up in his room. Uh, and there, there's I, there's some really good comedy in this film. So uh, she, she's been digging on this guy through this whole party. And he's like, yeah, I'll meet you upstairs. She goes up there and he's like, yeah, I'm going to set the mood. And he presses this button on this remote and just like loud, blaring, like trance music comes on. And there's like a disco ball with flashing lights. And she's like, what the fuck is this? And so she's kind of trying to like, get ready slash tell him like, maybe we can turn it down. Um, and he's behind her and she does not notice when baby face mask killer guy shows up, murders <laughs> the guy behind her as she's bitching at him. And uh, <laughs> she turns around and has to fight this guy off. <clears throat> of course she loses. 
wakes up again. This time, tries a new tactic, does not work, wakes up again. This time, she's like, what the actual fuck is happening? Tells Carter what's going on because he seems curious as to why she's uh, acting so strange this time when she wakes up in his room. Not acting like, oh, I have a hangover and I'm a bitch. Instead being like, what the fuck? Why am I reliving this stupid day over and over again? He's like, let's go get some French fries. <laughs> Good thing he's a science major. And so he has a lot of ideas about what might be happening. Um, the first and foremost is, hey, maybe we should like figure out who wants to kill you. Is there any enemies you have? Well, she's a bitch. So everyone is her enemy. So he's like, okay, well, you're being murdered on your birthday. That seems significant. She's like, oh, I guess it might be. Um, so she then spends the next round of deaths trying to work out who maybe has it out for her, maybe who doesn't. Um, she definitely narrows things down, but really not enough until she thinks she's finally figured it out when she sees on TV a story about an escaped serial killer. So this leads her into a slightly more successful attempt. And we go from there with a lot of twists and turns onto as to what is happening, who is actually out for her. And I will say that it it is just a fucking fun ride. Yeah. This movie, it's so it's Groundhog's Day, but not horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I do need to rewatch that I movie. Maybe that. it's Groundhog's not. Day is a pretty damn good movie. <laughs> I saw it like a lot as a kid and really hated it, but maybe as an adult, I'll super enjoy it. Plus, I like Bill Murray. So, yeah. um, her character. One thing I really love about her is she's not helpless. She fights back hard. She gives the guy, the the killer, a lot of very good blows. Like it is unreal how much you're just like. Damn, you really fucking got him. Like, she is scrappy. The movie throughout is constantly funny. This actress is incredible. Um, she just does a lot of great facial expressions. She also knows how to go from super bitchy character to strong, powerful woman who's a bitch to, actually, you know what? Maybe I'm making mistakes in my life and I should try and do some changes through all of these reenactments. You completely buy her um, and you support her and kind of like her all the way through, even though a lot of people I think who would have played this role would have just gone straight and th that would have been a huge mistake. Like I said, it's really fucking funny. Like at one point, okay, this sounds disturbing, but it's, it is really funny in the moment when she's making out with the guy in the room with the loud music and it turns out it's the killer with the mask. Um, he's on top of her and she's he's trying to strangle her and another dude bursts through the door and sees this and uh, <laughs> kind of looks for a second. And she's like looking at the guy like, hey, help me. Obviously something is wrong here. And of course it's a, a sorority style, you know, dorm room situation. The guy kind of gives the dude a wink and is like, and slowly closes the door. <laughs> and she's looking at him like, you piece of actual shit. <laughs> it's just, it's so funny. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's... Yeah, it may play out funny in the film, but your description followed by that was so darn funny. I know. <laughs> it's, it's a weird juxtaposition it's there. It's really weird. <laughs> it, but things like that, it, it, does, it shouldn't be, but it really is. Oh, yeah. um, later, Carter says at the restaurant to her, yeah, you know, this reminds me a lot of Groundhog's Day. And she's like, <laughs> Oh, I've never seen that movie. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> There's just these constant, like, neat little witty things played throughout. Um, a little bit of trivia. The tagline is, get up, live your day, get killed, again. 
<laughs> not very strong. Um, the, Bayfield, the Bayfield University baby killer costume was designed by Tony Gardner, who also designed the ghost face mask, um, who we all know from Scream films. It was reworked. Uh, it was a reworked version of the father's death Halloween costume. Director Christopher Landon tested wearing the option of a baby mask for the killer in the, uh, in the office and scared a worker, confirming his choice. When asked why a baby mask, Christopher Landon said he needed a combination of something that would pass for a mascot in a college campus that was both scary and funny at the same time. Plus he was expecting a son at the time. And so he had baby on the brain. The scene where Tree Geldman walks through campus quad naked in one of the versions had to be done quickly, given that it was filmed on an active college campus. <laughs> uh, this presented the risk of students witnessing the scene being filmed and or taking photos. Jessica Roth described her nude scene as liberating because the women in the film crew were extremely supportive. The theatrical trailer utilizes the song In the Club by 50 Cent as Tree's ringtone. However, the final film doesn't feature this as the uh, crew and studio could not acquire the rights. As a result, result, an original ringtone composition was concocted. The script was written hyperbolically 10 years earlier, allegedly back in 2007. It was going to star Megan Fox um, and was to be produced by Michael Bay. Oh my God. <laughs> which wow. may explain the name of the high school uh, in the film, or not the school, the college in the film, um, Bayfield University. It was originally titled <laughs> Half to Death, and the escaped killer um, character in the film, Joseph Toombs, was named after a high school gym teacher of the writer. That's what wow. I got. I like this movie. Yeah. This movie is way better than it has any right to be. It has yes. no right to be so good. I, I can't remember what caused me to see this film, but I, I remember being completely blown away with, by it. Just being like, oh my God, this is such a, it's just such a true hidden, hidden gem at this point. And then I really loved Freaky. And so I'm mm -hmm. very much looking forward to this next script the guy does. Same. I hope it has yeah. the same kind of humor. Very Absolutely. cool. I have <laughs> yes. not seen this movie, but everyone I know whose opinion I remotely respect has... Oh, it's thrown praise at it. Yeah, it, go see it. Yeah, looking forward. And the sequel's pretty good too. It's just very different. Yeah, it, well, I like it's similar that about but it. very different. Yeah, yeah. It's um, the main thing about the sequel, and and I think this is why a lot of people gave it a bit of shade. Is it's a science fiction film and not a horror film. Right. So it it's still a cool, incredible film, but it switches gears pretty heavily. Yeah. Yep. Okay, for my choice, I went with a little film called Laid to Rest. Department, what is your emergency? I know! Tucker tells me he picked you up on the street coming from my cemetery. Us all, man, they try to hurt me. Oh, I know, I'm already dead. Nobody's gonna die here tonight. We got a crazy person here. We need help. What do you want? You're dead. Oh, God, help us. He's not gonna stop.
what do we do now? Die. Anybody? Oh yeah, I've seen this one. Oh, you have seen this. Chrome okay. Skull or something like that. I've yes. heard of it, and I'm I know the like video cover art and stuff, but I've never seen it. Okay, this is from 2009. I can find no budget or box office on it. Rotten Tomato critics have it at 80 percent. Really? And the audience has it at 38 percent. Whoa! Now, wow. The 80 percent critics have to be like Fangoria mm. and. Bloody disgusting. Yeah, yeah, that kind of stuff. Because no legit reviewer is looking at this movie and saying, you guys got to see this. <laughs> legit. And I'll tell you why. Uh, written and directed by Robert Hall, who did Chrome Skull 2. <laughs> That's my favorite movie. Uh, two episodes of Teen Wolf and a video for the band Driving and Crying. Oh, nice. Oh, wow. And uh, that's it. But 98 credits in makeup effects mm. for tons of ah. genre films. And, um, and that's what this is. It's just yes. a showcase for his gore effects. Uh, stars Bobby Sue Luther. She was in the Night of the Demons remake and a bunch of one-offs for various television shows. Kevin Gage, who uh, is very familiar looking, but I didn't really know him from any of his things. Uh, he was in Point Blank, Strange Land. 69 other credits, 10 of which are in pre- or post-production right now. Oh, uh, Lena Headey, who was the Queen oh, of Sparta wow. in yeah. 300. She was the mob boss in Dread, and she played Sarah Connor in the Sarah Connor Chronicles. And then Sean Whalen, who's just got a ton of credits. He's kind of an odd-looking guy, and if you saw him, you'd be like, oh, that yeah, guy. I, I know who that guy is, <laughs> yeah. but he's, he's very strange. He was in Halloween 2, Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. Three from Hell, Ghosts, that series that you're watching oh, right now, yeah. and uh, Hatchet 3. Okay, this is a weird one. This movie is frustrating in that the acting <laughs> is good enough, and the photography is good, and the effects are amazing, and the story is garbage. So the film begins with a credit sequence showing women being assaulted, like on videotape, before moving to The Girl, which is what she is called in this movie. The girl waking up inside a coffin in a funeral home. Uh, the girl manages to knock the coffin over. She's freaking out and everything. She crawls out. She finds herself locked in the funeral home, but there's another room that's open. So she goes in there. She finds a phone. She calls 911. Uh, it turns out she has complete amnesia. So she's, she gets through to 911. She can't tell the phone operator who, uh, who's legitimately trying to help her. She can't tell her anything. Can't tell her how she got there, why she's there, who she is, where she is, any of this stuff. Um, but that's okay, because they can trace the call, right? Except that at some point she's so um, flabbergasted with her situation that she literally tears the cord in half somehow. Oh, jeez. Um, makes no sense. And I, just, <laughs> I feel like they could still trace where the call had come from, because you, she didn't kill the phone line. She killed the line from the phone Oh, <laughs> set oh. to the phone, right? So, anyway, yeah, well, you know, um, <laughs> didn't grow up with a landline at home, I guess. Right. Yeah. In that room she's in, though, she sees outside, and she's like, "Oh shit!" You know, I'm locked into this place, but the lock is on this side of the door, so I can get out. But that's when 
we uh, get our first view of Chrome Skull. <laughs> what a name. Yeah, well, this guy is our slasher, and he's actually got a pretty great design. He looks like he's dressed in a black-on-black business suit, and he's got a chrome skull mask covering his face. So anyway, the girl is able to bash him in the head with the door and run away from him and get around him. She gets out into the street, and uh, she's picked up by a random dude in a truck who's just like, "Uh, okay, because she's screaming and everything. And he's like, yeah, hop in. And she tells him that she's been locked in a box like she doesn't realize she was in a coffin or something. Mm. She's, she's really out of it. Um, he takes her home where she meets his wife, uh, Lena Hetty, and the wife is kind of pissy towards her because, like, you know, <laughs> what are you doing? How, why are you bringing this woman into our house? Um, but also they are broke as fuck. They don't have a phone. Uh, the <laughs> phone had got turned off. And, uh, but they can let her take a shower and then take her to the sheriff's office. Nobody can really tell what's going on with her because she's so out of it that she can't explain herself. Um, she doesn't realize she's in a slasher movie yet. <laughs> so she thinks she was randomly attacked by this dude. And that's mm-hmm. it, right? So also they're in the middle of fucking nowhere. It's like they're on the outskirts of a very tiny town. Uh, so after she has a breakdown in the shower, she's in the bedroom and Chrome Skull shows up outside. He has tracked her to this place. My God. So he <laughs> kills the wife in our first pretty gory set piece. And even though this movie is like dumb, um, <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm in because he, he pulls Lena Hetty out of the window and then he takes his knife and he jams it through her head and pins her to the side of the house and her eye is moving around. Ah. And I was like, Whoa, holy shit. Okay. So did she survive? Uh, she did not survive that one. Totally. Okay, just checking. Good question. <laughs> well, for ice moving, Are no you know. stupid questions, only stupid people. <laughs> oh my God. Welcome to the show. Be nice to our guest. <laughs> Have a fun day. <laughs> it's good to be back. Um, so the girl and the dude now escape in the dude's truck and uh, some other people show up at the house. Her brother and sister-in-law show up at the house and Chrome Skull kills them for daring to show up. <laughs> um, and in pretty spectacular ways, because remember, the only point of this movie is to show off this guy's effects skills. So he yeah. shaves the guy's face off, basically. Oh. Like from about, you know, a quarter of his head in. <laughs> and just takes it all off so you get to see blood and nasal passages and everything. I was like, all right. <laughs> Um, he cuts the girl, but she doesn't realize it. She's running away, and uh, and then she kind of twists to look back, and you see her guts all fall out of her stomach. Oh, <laughs> oh. Like, oh my. <laughs> so our girl, the girl, and the dude that she was with, uh, they make it to the next house over, which is pretty far away. That's what I'm saying. It's like, you know, a mile between houses and shit. And they meet this creepy dude with lots of toys and models in his house. <laughs> <laughs> um, he also does not have a phone but he does have internet so he can contact the police through electronic mail have you guys heard of this i feel like oh, even in 2009 american online thing in 2009 i was pretty comfortable with just calling it email yeah that's... but he called it electronic mail <laughs> uh, so while he's on the computer, he searches the National Serial Killer Database. You guys, I'm sure you guys oh, go on this. Yeah, sure. Too. And the site tells him that Chrome Skull has killed over 31 girls so far and filmed their deaths. So we're, we're getting into this kind of uh, mm. a mythology of this guy yeah. that he is a known serial killer. And 
I kind of liked that idea. It'd be like yeah. starting a, a Jason movie, uh, you know, a Friday the 13th movie at part seven or something, and just everybody knows that this guy has done this stuff. So I was like, okay. So they all jump in the car, and they head to the sheriff's, but when they get there, Chrome Skull has literally killed everyone there. <laughs> and he has displayed them in lovely ways, you know, hanging from walls, you open a cupboard, there's somebody's head, stuff like that. I'm like, this guy's wow. got a sense of humor. <laughs> he has also set up a bunch of cameras because this is his thing. Um, but it just, what did I write here? But it really just muddies the slasher water because we don't know anything about him. Uh, yeah, we, we don't know anything about him. We really don't care what his MO is because... He is basically uh, Jason Voorhees with no backstory. We don't know why he's so angry or why he's doing all of this stuff. All we know is he's got this amazing design. Um, so they barely escape, but as they're driving past the funeral home, she makes them stop there because she recognizes it as the place that she was just at. The place that she was just at where the guy tried to kill her? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Would yeah. you stop there? No. <laughs> or would you go, let's go past it? place very fast yeah keep, 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 <laughs> going. Um, keep going so it makes no sense they do stuff there <laughs> um and they use that place to kind of dress her wounds and everything and uh set up a base but wouldn't you know it chrome skull shows up and wow. we find out his lair is the barn next to the funeral home which <laughs> is stuffed to the gills with dead women and parts of dead women and parts of Ooh. dead women stitched together and all Ooh, sorts of wow. heavy gore special effects and shit Jesus. it is uh it's like you really want to know this guy's backstory. <laughs> this is an angry, angry man. Um, so uh, the dude has gone back to his place and he's gotten his gun and he shoots Chrome Skull at least twice and he goes down, but then he, they can't find him. They're still in his lair and everything. They decide to steal his car, which makes sense to me. But now we're like, okay, this guy is also, um, he is some kind of superhuman. He's able to take two shots from a big gun and, and, go hide and everything and then we see him later like um digging the bullets out of his abdomen and i, I would say that takes a certain kind of person to be able to do that <laughs> yes. and you know you're you're really kind of wondering what's going on with this guy uh in another very stupid movie moment she ditches the two guys that have been trying to help her this entire time and <laughs> takes the car on her own but she doesn't realize that chrome skull has a pretty sweet souped up hearse also, oh. and he's able to sync the two GPS units together so he can watch where she's going and follow. And meanwhile, the two dudes that she... Um, <laughs> That's kind of James Bond uh, yeah, for, a, say, for a fucking Electronic mail, and we can intersect GPS. Well, listen, wow. this, one dude, interesting world. <laughs> this one dude says electronic mail. Chrome Skull, he's got his he would, shit together. He would know. He would have been, you know. <laughs> the, yeah. <laughs> so those two dudes that were trying to help her, they set after her on foot, and she ends up at this tiny little general store in the middle of nowhere still. <laughs> and she tries to get out, but the doors lock automatically on her. And she realizes, oh, no, Chrome Skull has control of his car somehow. <laughs> there's, there's a lot going on in this movie. Uh-huh. <laughs> there, there's a lot going on in this surprisingly stupid movie. And... <laughs> and, and Nothing really going on. That's, it's just a bunch of weird ideas. Anyway, um, she tries to get the attention of the clerk by honking the horn. And he's just looking at her like, what's up with this crazy lady? And then these two other dudes show up in their car. And she's trying to get their attention, too. And 
they're like, you know, oh, hi. She's honking. They're like, hey, as they walk in, they're, they're drunk teenage dudes. So Chrome Skull shows up and another very stupid moment. He, um, he, he won't talk to her, but he's texting her while he's sitting next to her in the car. He's, you know, got the knife against her and he's texting her um, <laughs> that he needs her to go into that store and pick up another a videotape for his camera, which is like the cameras we use to shoot the documentary. Digi-8 or, or something like that. Yeah. camera, yeah. So he sends her <laughs> into there and he tells her, look, just get the tape and come out here. Otherwise, I'm going to kill everybody in there. It will all be your fault. <laughs> Jesus. So, but the clerk finally see that something is going on because she's looking um, very scared <laughs> while she's trying to get this tape and Chrome Skull has texted her a shitty message while she's in there. And he looks out and he sees this dude wearing a Chrome Skull mask. <laughs> and he's, um, he gets a r- rifle and he goes out and threatens Chrome Skull, but Chrome Skull grabs the gun and he points it at the guy's head as the guy is trying to pull the trigger and the guy blows the top of his own head off. Oh. Keep in mind, all of this gore is so gory and realistic looking that you're just like, ugh, yeah. every time something happens. <laughs> so inside, one of the new dudes manages to call the police and reports the crime before locking the front door. And then the two dudes that had been trying to help her from before, they finally show up. And as they let them in, one of the two new dudes gets his head chopped off. Yeah. Um, There's a final standoff in the general store that has one of the guys getting tire sealant jammed into his head. Um, So Chrome Skull like grabs him, pushes his head on the table, takes one of those tire sealant things. If you've got a flat, you know, a can of fix a flat, jams it in the guy's ear. And then he starts sealing and the guy's head just starts blowing up and blowing up as he's going. And then his head explodes. Oh, man. I'm here to tell you that cannot happen. (laughs) <laughs> there's just no way that would happen but I did like the effect um, someone else gets a knife in the chest and then we are finally treated to the video that actually shows us who the girl is and you guys I literally couldn't care less when I find out who she is she's a nobody um, she's a prostitute that he picked up to videotape and kill and then she somehow got away uh, I was like wow. well, why are you so interested in this girl what a reveal he, he had wow. no relationship to her prior to wow. picking her up so Ugh. it's a really stupid movie. Um, the acting is so-so, and the effects are great. I can find zero trivia on this. But I do have some reviews. Oh, okay. There you go. Oh. Uh, they do not necessarily support that 80%. <laughs> this is from Amazon. One out of five stars. This guy says, he starts his uh, review with, not cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and here's why I love these kind of this is exactly the kind of review you should give it was the German version and not compatible with my blu-ray disc player very upset should be more obvious than in fine print on item page feel very misled and now it's completely useless may as well be a paperweight <laughs> one out of five stars nice. as the filmmaker you got to be going you know dude fuck you why are you reviewing my movie with this this is something that you should be reviewing Amazon on, not my movie uh, this guy says, one out of five stars, Nicholas Shapiro. Uh, it's so bloody and disgusting. I thought it was like Friday the 13th or Halloween, but stupid. <laughs> one little throw of a knife spit. I half humans like that. It not even near look real. That is mm, the end fair. of that review. That's a great argument. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, you make a good point. <laughs> um, here. 
Binko, Binky Chatteria uh, reviews this five out of five stars. Simply sublime horror. <laughs> Gosh, I love this film. Lots of fresh ideas, a wonderful band of three protagonists that I was truly rooting for, and a killer who is scary through and through, right down to his lumbering walk. This should be a requirement for anybody who enjoys slasher movies. Very satisfying climax. If you like this movie, I would suggest checking out the sequel, Laid to Rest 2, Chrome Skull, which is maybe not quite as good, but definitely takes the idea in a strong and novel direction. Wow. <laughs> and then finally, Rose Price gives it five out of five stars. Bought for my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> Neat. This is the review that the filmmaker is like, well, that makes up for that asshole who was just kidding. <laughs> That's my movie. Oh uh, my. It's available on Tubi. So is the sequel. I started watching the sequel. Brian Austin Green is in it. I might continue. Oh, my God. Yes. yes. Uh, I know a little bit of interesting trivia for oh, please this tell film. Me. So um, it's on. If you listen to the behind behind the scenes director's commentary or whatever, I do well, know, I would which you probably don't want to, but someone I know did and told me all about it. And the director is talking to his partner, who is the star of the film. And she's being really weird to him the whole way through. And he's like, are you going to like talk or are you going to like text all day? And she's like, well, there's just nothing to fucking talk about, is there? <laughs> Shockingly, <laughs> they uh, did in fact split up not long after that commentary came out. She left him for the DP of the first Crumb School film. Oh, wow. Needless to say, the second film school uh film does not have the same DP, nor does the star of the film survive past the first. Right. Uh, little and she's that. recast. She's recast <laughs> and does not survive. Wow. So well, that was good juice. Thanks. Yeah, fun oh, little yeah. drama. Man, tell me about it. <laughs> oh, then I guess that means it's me. Your turn. Uh, it is my turn. Um, my slasher is a proto slasher, and it is one odd duck uh, from 1970 slash 73 and more on that later I chose Hollywood Horror House Also known as Savage Intruder uh, on VHS. Uh, this is a movie that came out on VHS and actually never surfaced on home video uh, via DVD 
until uh, Vinegar Syndrome put it out on Blu-ray. Uh, mm -hmm. And yes, it is a Vinegar Syndrome release through and through, <laughs> if you know what I mean. And I think you do if you if you like videos, uh, uh, <laughs> Vinegar Syndrome. Uh, no budget or box office info uh, as far as Rotten Tomatoes goes. No ratings from critics or audience. This movie uh, stars Miriam Hopkins uh, as Catherine Packard. She has 53 acting credits, and she was a big deal in Golden Age Hollywood. Um, she's in the 1932 Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Mm. She got a Supporting Actress nomination, uh, Oscar uh, nomination for Becky Sharp, and she's also in a 1940s melodrama called The Heiress, which is one of the great um, 40s uh, Hollywood melodramas. Uh, it also stars John David Garfield, uh, who has 18 acting credits, including uh, bit roles in The Swimmer, uh, Frank Perry's yeah. The Swimmer, right. uh, McKenna's Gold, opposite Gregory Peck, a really cool war movie, uh, and The Golden Voyage of Sinbad. He is one Ooh. of, you know, he is a very white guy playing one of Sinbad's Arabic crew members <laughs> as the Sinbad movies from the 50s, 60s, and 70s are want to do. Uh, and, but he was kind of more established himself uh, as an editor or an assistant editor. And he worked on movies like Karate Kid Part 2, All the Right Moves. Uh, so that was kind of where he hung his hat when acting didn't work out for him. Uh, also starring in the movie is Gail Sondergaard, who is another veteran Hollywood star, uh, 55 acting credits, including uh, Anthony Adverse, The Mark of Zorro from 1940, uh, The Spider-Woman and The Spider-Woman Strikes Back, uh, which are both Sherlock Holmes movies. And she was the only female heavy in the uh, Universal era uh, Basil Rathbone Sherlock Holmes movies, uh, for what that's worth. And also starring is Virginia Wing uh, as Greta. And uh, she has 30 credits, acting credits, including Good Guys Wear Black, Jekyll and Hyde, Together Again, and a small part in Charlie Varick, which is a absolutely awesome Don Siegel kind of action thriller um, with Walter Matthau. Terrific movie. Um, she's in there somewhere. Uh, the movie is written, co-produced, and directed by Donald Wolf. This was his only Writing, co-producing, directing, whatever, credit. And more on that later. So let's jump into the movie. Uh, this is very interesting because this particular movie is, uh, it's a proto-slasher and it's also an example, kind of a late period example of what was called um, uh, psycho bitty horror or hag exploitation, uh, where you had uh, usually it was golden age Hollywood actors, actresses usually, who in towards the end of their career were playing, you know, scary psychotic harpies, that sort of thing. Uh, the the big one on this is whatever happened to Baby Jane with uh, Joan Crawford and Betty Davis, also Hush Hush Sweets Charlotte with Olivia De Havilland, and so Miriam Hopkins serves that function here. She's the faded starlet. Uh, the movie sets up. Uh, initially, it establishes a bunch of pre-credit stock footage. It's lifted from a bunch of old new newsreels and singing in the rain, actually. And it's just like footage of uh, op opulent Hollywood, you know, premieres of the era on the red carpet and so forth. So you get this, you know, rollicking music and uh, you get this sense of big Hollywood grandeur and footlights and everything else. Um, and then there's a pretty quick cut to the Hollywood sign in 1970. 
before they renovated it. <laughs> it is rusty. It is dilapidating. Um, the 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 peppy ho- yay Hollywood music drops, and all you get is wind whistling through <laughs> these corrugated pieces of metal that are barely hanging off of this frame. So it's it's like heavy handed as as fuck, but it's actually pretty effective metaphor because it's like it's like you have you know, the shiny surface of Tinseltown, and then you have how it's really actually this horrible desiccated thing. Um, uh, And then after all of these kind of unsparing shots of this ugly sign, the camera settles on a disembodied head and a couple of dismembered hands right under the Hollywood sign. So next, we are in a dive bar in Hollywood, and there's a newscaster who handily mentions that another dismembered body was found in the Hollywood Hills. Imagine that. Oh, and it appears to be a serial killer who is targeting, and this is interesting, middle-aged women. Uh, So sure enough, uh, there's this very tall, or very haggard, I should say, um, very haggard middle-aged woman i would say middle-aged is kind of a push as far as a description goes um who's watching uh the newscast from a bar tv and so she starts walking home and she's tailed by this shadowy figure in a purple pimp hat a black raincoat shades and really white bell bottoms uh, so the shadowy figure, when she gets to her house, uh, he conks her in the head with a lead pipe. And fortunately, there's a handy power outlet nearby so he can plug in his electric carving knife and begin sawing off her hand. <laughs> and of course, she's like out cold and she starts to wake up and her hands twitching and you see blood squirting out just a little bit as he's starting to saw with the electric carving knife. And then um, she wakes up, starts screaming. And next thing you know, he brings a meat cleaver down and there's much splatter. It's actually pretty graphic for the time. For a 1970 movie, it's like, whoa. So that was quite a, that's quite attention getting. Um, and then uh, next, the, uh, the movie and the movie continues with a tour bus ride by a very, uh, by, by a, a very familiar looking tour bus driver, more on him later, who's talking about Starlet. Catherine Packard and how she's been retired, but she's currently contributing to some of her favorite charities and enjoying her golden years. Uh, The next thing we know, we see footage of Catherine Miriam Hopkins uh, flouncing about in her house in a very fancy white dress, addressing a whole house full of people. Um, You hear all of this raucous party noise and clinking of glasses and she's totally uh, totally being the the bell of the ball and then of course there's a pan and we realize that she's alone and she's delusional and she's drunk as fuck so she falls down the stairs and breaks her leg so uh cut to the tour bus again and somebody hops off the tour bus and this is uh, one of our other key characters, his name is Vic Valance, and he's dressed in a headband and a paisley shirt, so you know he's a hippie youth and he's total trouble. And he sort of waltzes into this, uh, into Catherine's house, uh, to the property. And by the way, at this point, we can tell pretty clearly, and the movie's not making any secret of the fact that, yes, Vic is the killer. He's the guy who was wielding the electric carving knife. Uh, and as the movie gradually progresses, we see flashbacks. Apparently, at some point, he 
was very mad at his mother, who was uh, apparently, uh, you know, uh, slept around a bit, did a lot of this in front of him as a kid. And so in uh, retribution, he hacked her hand off. Uh, And so you see a lot of symbolism going back and forth between that hand being hacked off and other things being hacked when he goes to the killing thing. Uh, so anyway, uh, she, uh, she ends up, uh, Catherine ends up, uh, in a wheelchair, uh, with a, either crutches or a, uh, either crutches or a wheelchair and she's in a cast. Uh, her assistant, her personal assistant, Leslie, uh, is very skeptical of this guy. And as time goes by, he starts to sort of charm his way into uh, Catherine's favors uh, and including them starting to um, get a little busy, which is uh, as unsettling as you might think it is with a 70 year old woman and a probably, you know, late 20s, early 30s guy. Uh, And there are definitely at this point in time, there are like it's sort of like also at this point becoming a low budget sort of um, just really ratty and, and kind of tacky version of Sunset Boulevard because you have the faded starlet, you know, kind of coasting on her, on her previous glories and you have the kind of, you know, opportunist. Uh, and so you're thinking, you know, although it changes the dynamic of course, because uh, he's actually the killer and it's not, you know, the, so the woman is the, the, the hag in the hag exploitation is not the killer. Uh, so basically the rest of the movie is a gradual procession of him getting Catherine, the starlet hooked back on alcohol, uh, including injecting her heroin style with vodka. Jesus, uh, work? Uh, apparently it does, you know, uh, at one point mm-hmm. about half asking for a friend. Yeah, yeah right. there you go. Um, and, and you see, and what's really, what's really kind of unsettling is you see him injecting her and then they have a close up of her arm and there's like when, by the time they get around to establishing that she's taking all of these shots of alcohol from this guy, there's like multiple, like, punctures and track marks and stuff. It's pretty unsettling. And there are about there, there are probably I'd say three or four other kills in the movie that are also pretty effective too. Um, but as time goes by, we also see, uh, he invites Catherine to a party. Uh, it's of course a hippie party and, uh, she ends up getting really blasted drunk again. He imprisons her in her bedroom. Uh, her assistant gets really super skeptical, but nobody ever quite does anything in time uh, to avoid being killed. Uh, there are a lot of choice moments in this movie. It's It really is, not only is it a collision between like 30s and 40s golden age Hollywood and like the end of the 60s where you had like Easy Rider and that sort of, um, you know, new guard coming in it's also it it is also a schism because it was filmed over the course of four years between hippie culture and cynical 70s nihilistic culture (laughs) it's like it's like you know one minute the characters are walking around in very 60s very paisley outfits and then in the, the next minute it's like things get very very like dark and melodramatic uh in a very 70s fashion and you can really feel the seams it's a very weird movie i was absolutely captivated with it actually because of that uh it's uh, it's not a great movie but it is absolutely fascinating to watch from the standpoint of uh you know 
kind of the, it's leaning towards Sunset Boulevard, the whole hag exploitation thing. Uh, it's hard to convey because nobody knows who the fuck Miriam Hopkins is now, but it's hard to convey for a while. She was like a seriously big deal in Hollywood. She was an Oscar nominee. She did movies for like some of the like most regarded uh, golden age Hollywood directors. She worked opposite Betty Davis and Joan Crawford and all of these amazing, amazing stars. But her temperature or her temperature, maybe eventually her temperature, her temper got the best of her and she like was really good at burning bridges. So she, so she never became a big star, uh, at least past the 40s. Uh, the other veteran in the movie uh, of prominence is Gail Sondergaard, who plays her assistant, Leslie. Uh, and she had her career uh, get flamed out for a much different and much sadder reason, which is that she and her producer husband, uh, Joseph Bieberman, I think was his name, were victims of the Hollywood blacklist. They were accused of being communists. And uh, she, unlike Miriam Hopkins, who's like, absolutely devouring the fucking scenery you know there's one part the the uh commentary on the blu-ray is uh co-done by uh, an author named uh, david delval who was a historian for hollywood and he actually knew a lot of these people he has a lot of great stories um and at one point he says you know at some point he's like she's not getting direct and he says yeah you know at, at certain times there are certain actors you direct with a whip and a chair (laughs) and she's one of these she is devouring the scenery but gail sondergaard who's playing the assistant is trying to keep it dignified and she's trying to give a a restrained performance and offer some contrast Uh, yeah if if you're a fan of old hollywood uh and you don't mind seeing it really you know seeing it's like decaying and wrinkled and flabby underbelly (laughs) this is this is worth definitely worth a look um, is of, this is this as sleazy as it sounds? It is. Oh, it is weird. very trashy. I it is it. really yeah. super trashy, and it and it, and it's and and as this Vic Valance character continues to worm his way in, he's completely loathsome on every level. But you can almost see how this totally isolated older woman, who's like really susceptible to flattery can tumble down this guy's, you know, even though you, you think everyone in the movie could see through him, uh, they don't until it's too late most of the time. Uh, so, uh, but a couple of trivia notes, and a lot of this is tied into it being a very golden Hollywood uh, reminiscent movie. Uh, it was filmed on location. The, the, the estate that she's at is gorgeous. It's opulent as hell, probably three or four stories, huge grand staircases. It was actually uh, the estate of silent movie star Norma Talmadge, and it is still open to this day. You can, it's been rented and used for Hollywood premiere parties like right up until you know today. It's, it's actually a thriving kind of tourist attraction slash rental facility for your really rich people to do weddings and movie premieres. It was, again, uh, shot between 1969 and 1973. And the director, writer, producer Donald Wolf actually owned a tour bus business and he <laughs> financed the movie with the proceeds. And that's why it was shot in pieces uh, as yeah. it goes on. Uh, and speaking of final bows, this isn't just uh, Miriam Hopkins' final movie. She died like literally um, in 1970, less than a year after shooting had begun. After this seeing is, the movie. Yeah. <laughs> she actually, she and Gail Sondergaard 
both were really trying to get the movie distribution and they couldn't get it any sort of distribution at all until it kind of got farted out on home video under the title of Savage Intruder. But in addition to this being Miriam Hopkins' last movie, it was also the last movie for the tour bus driver who was played by Joe Besser, a.k.a. Curly Joe from the Three Stooges. Oh, wow. So he's the the tour bus driver, and he literally is at the beginning of the movie and the end of the movie is the last time he ever appeared on screen. Wow. Uh, it's, uh, it's also shot, uh, it's actually quite beautifully shot, um, by, I think the, uh, the cinematographer's name is John Morrill and he shot a boy and his dog from 1975 and a lot of genre stuff. The movie looks, especially in the, in the, uh, 2k, 4k, uh, restoration, it looks gorgeous. I mean, it's, it's actually really nicely shot and I would imagine crammed on VHS. Nobody would have realized how nicely shot it was, but it's, beautifully shot he gets a lot of credit for it nutty weird weird movie uh i highly enjoyed it and definitely in a lot of ways a proto slasher because there are some gruesome gruesome kills in it like really some gruesome kills uh and uh one other quick note i do want to give a shout out to virginia wing who plays a small part in the movie she doesn't have a damn thing to do but she's very charismatic she's very likable and natural and adorable and she is now 86 years old living in portland and has been working in the theater there extensively and was one of the first asian women to appear in uh t in uh print ads for uh cosmetics and shampoo in the early 60s actually an interesting figure and definitely um, a lot, definitely uh, better than this movie uh, deserves. <laughs> <laughs> so Savage Intruder, but what was the name you watched it under? Hollywood Horror House. I like how you have to really pronounce that. Thank oh, you, you so much. Yes, yes. <laughs> I could just go Hollywood Horror House and it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, very yeah. Different, different, very different film. And yeah. it's, yeah, it's not, I, I don't, I'm not aware if it's streaming or not. I would imagine there's a, like a, crappy rip of the VHS tape of Savage Intruder somewhere in the YouTube bowels. Um, but I saw the Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray, um, right. which I purchased. And it really is, it's, uh, for me, I just, I just was, I'm a sucker for Golden Age Hollywood. I'm a sucker for Golden Age Hollywood and decay. So it's mm-hmm. like absolutely fascinating from those standpoints. Uh, and the commentary by David DelVal and David Dakota, who's a a horror director who did like breeders and a bunch of other stuff. Um, it's really funny cause they're both basically, you know, they, they're self-described bitchy Queens and <laughs> they, they, they have so much great juicy gossip about Miriam Hopkins and Gail Sondergaard and the whole shooting schedule. Um, also John David Garfield is the son of John Garfield, who is one of the, um, great kind of cinema tough guys. Tragically, he also, John Garfield Sr., was um, persecuted and hounded as a member of the uh, Communist Party. Uh, he died at the age of 39 of heart failure. Mm-hmm. And then his son sadly passed away at the age of 51 from heart failure. Oh, man. So a kind of a tragic stretch going through that. Um, uh, so, yeah, a fascinating artifact of a, um, of a f- very transitional time in Hollywood and a... Fascinating proto slasher. I love it. I can't wait to see it. Uh, okay, so that means that um, Tony can't thank you enough for joining us again on this show. Well, thank you for yeah. having me, you guys. Uh, you will not be here next week. <laughs> 
Thanks. If I have anything to say about it. <laughs> oh my God. Thanks, Kelly. Love you too. <laughs> but I do believe that means it's my pick for next week, right? I believe so. Double check, you know, because we're going to, since we had so much fun with the dates recently, we're instigating a better calendar system. <laughs> so I would think that, oh, Vanessa's up next. Oh. I'm up next. Are yep. you sure? Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, Drum roll, please. <laughs> um, well, I'm going to go with something that feels kind of kind of timely for some of the stuff that we talked about today, but maybe it feels random. Um, how about we do films that have a big focus on social media? Like social, social media almost plays a, a third wheel character in this. So whether a character's obsessed with it, is utilizing it, it just uh, pops up to change the aspect of something that's happening in it. What do you guys think about that? Ah, uh, well, that means we're going to be talking about recent movies. Yeah, something pretty <laughs> new, <laughs> unless, you know, you want to continue call a phone a social media nope. tool. <laughs> I don't. I sure oh, don't. Oh, man, this is going to suck. Okay. Well, I can think of five it. off the top of my head. Oh, there's so. tons of them out there. I've yeah. seen several. I've liked maybe one or two. It'll that's be a challenge. Why, that's why you play the <laughs> game, <right>. though. Exactly. <laughs> Spin the wheel. And I get to go back to being a listener, and I am. I can hardly <laughs> wait to hear what you guys can are, are going to be talking about. And I'm also very happy I'm not part of this challenge. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this is the part where I thank everybody for participating in the value for value model. Um, as Eric said, we just got somebody buying us pizzas as we were recording. That's right. So that's very cool. Thank you, thank you to everybody who's doing that, who's liking and sharing the posts, who uh, shares when the show goes live. We really, really appreciate it. Really appreciate all the stuff that Danny is doing behind the scenes, that Ron is doing behind the scenes. So mm-hmm. um, we have the best listeners. We really do. Yeah. We really, really do. Okay. So that's it. We'll be back in one week. We're talking uh, social media somehow. Oh, my God. Brain Geons Radio is artisanal quality podcasting, handcrafted with all natural ingredients, and edited to perfection by Eric Morgret. Our blistering theme song is Strange Eons Part 1 by the band Nightshade and is used with permission. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider dropping a positive review on Apple Podcasts. And they meet this creepy dude with lots of toys and models in his house.